When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson, and brought to you by you. Thank you very much, of course, to our patrons supporting us each and every week at patreon.com slash UKtech. If you are a patron, this is your extended cut of this week's show. And if you're not, would like to be, you can get our extended cuts and my weekly columns and a variety of other things like our as live unedited versions of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech for as little as about 80p uh, per episode. All right, so thank you to everybody there. Now, if it sounds like we're recording on a portable setup inside my mother's shoe closet in her cottage in Derbyshire, well, that's very perceptive of you because that's exactly where we're recording and uh, the we I refer to includes not only myself hello I uh, but also CNET's Andy Hoyle hello there nice uh, to be nice to be with you in the shoe closet it's 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 nice isn't it there's a lot of soul in here <laughs> um, obviously one of the perks of your brother also being a tech journalist does mean that when you come away for family reasons uh, you're both away therefore podcasting can still take place it's exciting super convenient uh, also it means that uh, episodes 100 or 100 episodes or the 100th <laughs> episode can also take place and thank you to everyone who's given us amazing feedback from our uh, our inaugural live show last uh, last week we put it out on uh, on sunday for for most people and the video version on uh, on youtube as well we've had some amazing comments some fantastic feedback both for the panelists for the show for our guest uh, james prothero as well um it's been amazing a lot of people have asked if we'll do it again i've said maybe with a sort of lean towards no, no um, because it's such a huge pain in the ass to do. It was but a lot of effort. It was a lot of effort, but it's been great, and the feedback has been wonderful. Um, if you haven't watched the episode yet, uh, do uh, watch the video version. It's still up, obviously, at uh, live.techpodcast.uk. That'll redirect you to the YouTube page. Um, don't miss that video version if you if you haven't had a chance to see it yet. It really is quite something, I think. This means that I'm a guest two weeks in a row, which I think I, yeah. means that I should get a, a, a particularly big appearance fee. Yes, well, we'll, we'll as opposed to zero. We'll come back to that. Uh, well, let's get on with the news. We didn't want to miss the show this weekend uh, just because uh, just because I'm away. I'll be back home next weekend. But uh, let's get cracking as best we can. Um, Google, according to the BBC this week, will let publishers ask people who use ad blockers during their web browsing to either enable advertising again or make a payment to view content without ads. And this is something that's going to be coming to the UK from launch. Now, on its blog, Google said, it's far too common that people encounter annoying, intrusive ads on the web, like the kind that play music unexpectedly or force you to wait 10 seconds before you can see the content on a page. These frustrating experiences can lead people to block all ads, taking a big toll on the content creators, journalists, web developers, and videographers who depend on ads to fund their content creation. Now, there is an unmentioned, uh, an unwritten mention there, the toll it takes on Google's income, Andy, I think. <laughs> Uh, since it won't get paid uh, either when you block ads. Now, Google said its program, called Funding Choices, lets publishers show a customised message to visitors who are using ad blockers, suggesting they either enable ads on their site by adding it to a whitelist, presumably, um, or pay for a pass that removes all ads 
on the site. Um, and perhaps, and I think this is, if anything, an even more intriguing promise, Google says it does now plan to have Chrome, the browser, stop showing ads entirely, and it points out that that includes those served up by Google, on websites that are not compliant with what's called the Better Ads Standard, starting in early 2018. And that will include the UK, uh, North America, Germany, Australia and New Zealand. Now, I think this uh, is, is overall probably a, a good move because I've always been of the belief that good ads aren't bad. Bad ads are. Uh, creepy ads are as well. And this is this feels like a move to stop the situation getting worse. Obviously, it's one that benefits Google enormously as it has to serve ads. But it would be nice to be in a world where advertising was accepted and okay and we didn't need something like this, but maybe it needs something like this to sort of get that into into gear. I suspect that this is the sort of the kick in the pants that the advertising industry needs to develop better ads because, as you say, it isn't advertising that's the problem. I have, as, as a website user, I have no problem in seeing adverts. It's the ones that autoplay the advert or it's uh oh uh watch this ad while your page loads as though you need to wait for a page to load like don't make it sound as though it's my computer's the issue there that's annoying um bad ads are a problem what we need is 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 ways that ads can be displayed on the page without getting in the way of a content the content needs to come first that's why you're using the internet particularly on mobile if you're loading something in a hurry your data is being spent on this on on seeing these ads that are getting in the way and that clearly doesn't work. The problem is, is that stopping them altogether is a difficult thing altogether, which is why ad blockers have been such a contentious issue. Yeah, um, and-, and obviously it should be said that, that I and I believe Bloomberg, um, so I from CNET, CNET relies on advertising. People, it, CNET is not a pay-to-use website. It was not a subscription. So you come to CNET, you browse the whole website for free, but there are ads there. That is how CNET makes its money. Um, so you shut down all the ads there is no more money coming in for CNET and uh, and most publishers which work on that model, which means no more content, no more paying for journalists, no more paying for photographers. All of that content will crumble. But is this a good way of dealing with that, I wonder? Because this is, you know, some ad blockers have operated kind of whitelists where companies can pay as long as their ads comply with a certain format they can pay to allow the ad blocker to not block the ads, which is essentially making the ad company, the ad blocker companies almost delivering the exact opposite thing that their users have installed their service to do, which is to block ads. It's weird when they say, pay us money... That's we'll... a ransom service, really, isn't it? That's, we'll block your, we'll your money-making unless you pay us. It is. So I wonder how different this is for Google, because it feels to me like sort of the same. The difference is, is that it's baking it, it's baking it into Chrome, and it's or in 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 one sense it is and in the other sense it's just allowing the the publisher to 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 have a an additional request to the user uh, but at the end of the day somebody's facilitating a transfer of money and google benefits from that too so yeah. it's an odd one it definitely the ad service is broken on all sides it's broken in the ad side and how they uh, make their ads it's broken in the publisher side and how they make their money from ads something has to change but there are and there are lots of things in that in the quality of the ads in being able to interact with the ads i mean i as as we all are and uh, find that when you browse for for example a table on amazon for the next six weeks you're followed around the internet by tables usually the same table in my experience usually the same well. table and also there's no option just to say 
Oh, I've already actually bought it. Mm. I don't. I bought. I'm looking for that table because I bought a table. Maybe, I now maybe know, show me some chairs. Exactly, show me some chairs. Show me something that's related to this thing. Um, I I don't. I like seeing ads if it's actually something that is relative to related to my interest. If I want to buy this thing, use this service, great. Maybe I don't otherwise know about this product without seeing this ad. But seeing an ad for something that I've already bought that is a broken system targeted ads in that sense i don't think works at all and that needs to fix well this is going to start rolling out quite soon and google's own ad blocking will come into play in the uk uh, in 2018 uh, but in the meantime let us know any thoughts you have on on ads um, it is a topic we come to quite often i'm aware of that but this is an interesting one in that it's google basically saying we'll even block our own if they don't comply with this new format so it's an interesting change podcast at natelangson.com if you have a view Well, Snapchat, or Snap Inc., uh, to be more specific, has brought its peculiar spectacles to the UK uh, after being exclusive to the US for a few months. Now, these are the pairs of specs that have a camera, a little tiny camera, and a microphone embedded into the frame, not million miles away from Google Glass, which takes uh, lets people take a 10 to 30 second video for sharing across the Snapchat platform. Uh, they're being sold through vending machines. The first one of these that we saw popped up near the London Eye on Friday and follows similar pop-ups, or I think possibly simultaneous pop-ups, in, uh, in Berlin, Paris and Venice. And obviously the US has had these since, uh, I think, summer-ish last year. Now, in the UK, they're going to cost 130 quid. And that compares to $130 in the US. So depending on how you crunch the numbers, they are more expensive here. Uh, And they also um, have been predominantly, according to a report I saw in The Guardian, uh, been bought by men and the queues haven't been quite as long as they were in the US. So, you know reflects whether Britain has Buy to resell, I would I would think is largely the 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 queue. Quite possibly. There was somebody that, that I saw quoted in one of the reports that said they were just interested in new tech. And that just reminded me again of the the, uh, the conversations that had around Google Glass when that launched. Like, why are you buying this? Do you actually want this? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my question is, do we want one of these? I don't, personally. I think they're pointless. But I thought that about Google Glass and most head-mounted pieces of technology. Um, Andy, have, have you used these? Uh, I've worn them. I haven't actually used them. Uh, we, we got a pair in, in the office in the UK just when um, uh, Katie, one of our news reporters, um, bought a pair back from uh, New York. Um, we're not. I I haven't used it, and but and I don't really use Snapchat. Um, I am, too old. Well, I think I already am too old. I, I'm still just in my twenties, but even then, I, I I think I'm too old for Snapchat, and I've I think the the boat has well and truly sailed on that. So Snapchat's own spectacles, I don't really see um the point. Um, they are quite bulky. They look they look a little bit akin to you know in like the early nineties tech movies when there'd be some there'd be a hacker and he would always have glasses that have got a torch in the top right corner of one side of spectacles I don't remember and a camera in the other. There was always... You'll have, you'll, have, you'll have seen these. They remind me a little bit of those. They're, they're very noticeably not normal glasses and um, I just think they're a bit silly. They're a bit of fun though and fine if you want to spend 130 quid on that that's up to you i mean i still think that these are generally they're big marketing it's a marketing effort this is this is pure pr and we're and we're feeding into that machine by even talking about it in the first place but what i do think is interesting is just the fact that it obviously whatever boxes they needed to tick as far as a marketing effort a product launch uh, an extension of their service, whatever it was they were trying to do in the US, it was obviously successful enough to bring it to several cities across Europe. So it obviously also works, which again is where probably the the differences become more apparent between it and Google Glass, which didn't. 
No, Google Glass, but then was supposed to always be a bit of a proof of concept and a bit of a testing bed for that technology to go into other things. And very expensive as well. Very expensive. I think um, the Snapchat spectacles are a, a, a tenth, less than a tenth of the price of Google Glass. Um, but and Snapchat, Snapchat's capable. I mean, let's be honest, Google Glass was also a mini computer. That was supposed to, yeah, basically have full Android functionality, but in the glasses, whereas Snapchat is just take one photo or a little bit of video. But it's just another push that Snapchat is doing, or snapping, as you say, the, the, the the broader company you know they're getting into their own broadcasting they're 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 producing original content yeah they're they're competing with netflix like this is a company that has generated very quickly a lot of attention a lot of money and it's allowing itself to sort of experiment it's having a part of a company that's well let's do something that's a little bit experimental let's do something that that is a bit weird and maybe some people will love wearing these glasses and it's a bit of a pr stunt to generate yet more interest which will get people more interested in its other projects so it's no bad thing in having it be purely a PR stunt because yeah. it will make people interested in the company. That's true. I mean, it certainly makes them interesting. I mean, it's one of the things that separates them from some messaging apps. But then you look across to Asia and what the likes of Line sort of are doing out there. I mean, these places, you know, they have they have giant stores. They have department stores full of merchandise, like lots and lots of huge real world ways to interact with the brand. And Snap seems to be trying to channel elements of that over here in a way that, say, WhatsApp and Messenger really hasn't. You know, they're they're very much going for... I almost want to say that the the older, more business-oriented demographic, particularly when you look at sort of WhatsApp's future business model uh, of, you know, having businesses interact with individuals and yeah. customers through its service, you look at something like Snap, and it's a, it's a wildly different game. And I, I agree, it's, it's interesting. I think people view the companies themselves in different ways. I mean, people have a lot of warmth towards Snapchat because it's, it's almost a thing that people are, feel really good about themselves for using, not almost as a fashion accessory in itself like oh i'll see you on snapchat whereas people don't have that with whatsapp whatsapp is very much just a service and there's not a lot of personality to that i don't think anybody would be having uh, uh whatsapp glasses on their face nor would they go to one of the stores you mentioned and get a uh, a plushy whatsapp logo um or have the two blue ticks tattooed on their arm although if anyone does have that let me know because i somebody will somebody, have that yeah or, so- or just the one gray tick there's somebody who's accepted a wedding proposal by having two ticks. You know, the, they, they've proposed it, two ticks. Yeah. It's been received, you know, two ticks. You send it back. I do, two blue ticks. I've got a lot of wedding things on my mind. I get married in four months. Um, well, if you have weddings on your mind, or perhaps more specifically, if you have Snapchat's spectacles on your mind, or a little further away from your mind, but not by far, on your face, uh, let us know. Podcast at natelangson.com. Dearly interested to know if you'd be interested in this. Are you going to come to London and buy a pair? That would be even more interesting. Well, in another thing categorised as stuff that happened in the US that apparently went well enough to bring it to Britain, uh, Microsoft is going to pay people in the UK to use its Bing search engine instead of Google. According to a write-up in Wired, people with a Microsoft account can sign up for the rewards scheme, and when a search is made on Bing or an item is purchased from the Microsoft Store, points will be collected. Uh, These points can then be swapped for items. So it's basically a loyalty scheme. It reminds me a lot of the old Tiger Token system from SO Garages back in the 80s and 90s. I got my very... Yeah, I got my very first digital uh, bedside alarm clock as a result of my parents' Tiger Tokens. That's fantastic, Nate. It was. So Microsoft's head of consumer marketing told Wired that the points can be redeemed for a number of Microsoft offerings. So it's not a total free-for-all, here's some cash in the post sort of thing. But it does include free movies, music, or entry into larger prize sweepstakes. So 
if, if you want to win, you know, you and 10,000 others may win a Surface Pro 4. Something that sort of thing. It's that sort of thing. Um, but it's interesting when you look at the numbers, because, again, this scheme has been in operation in the US for a little while. This is the news that it's coming to the UK. But the numbers about Bing in the UK are quite different from the ones in the US. At the moment, only about 10% of people use Bing in the UK. And I think that's, it's fair to assume that, you know, probably half of that number, if not more, are people who have it set as a default by Windows and are just generally happy with it. They've not necessarily gone out to say, I don't use Google anymore. I'm gonna, just going to use Or don't Bing. know how to change it. Or don't know how. Uh, whereas 85% of people in uh, the UK use Google. Now, again, many also will probably be using it because it's the default in Chrome and in, in a variety of browsers and things. But the number is still staggeringly different. Um, in the US, Bing has twice as many people using it. Uh, rather, has a uh, the percentage is twice as high. Um, it's 20% just over, I think, in in the US. Yahoo has a much higher share as well in the US and has 10%. So as many there's the same percentage of people using Yahoo in the US as use Bing in the UK. And Google is around the 60% mark, so just over half as a vote. It's a lot to- less than I'd have thought. It is a lot less than I would thought. And it's the same across Europe. I mean, Europe, I think, on average, is something like 90, if not more, percent who use Google. I need yeah. to check those figures, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, I do wonder if a program like this can shift the needle for, for, for Brits using Bing. I mean, I've used Bing on, on many occasions. I actually think it's fine. It's not Google, but it's also generally fine, and that's okay. But I have no reason, no compelling reason to use Bing over Google, even though it's, it's totally acceptable. And would this be enough for you, do you think, a little incentive, a little sweetener. I don't to... think so for me, but I do wonder whether it's enough for. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think about, say, a family with with a with a very low income, and they'd like a few extra things. Like these are the kind of things that I think in in, in some demographics could make a difference you know if there's the opportunity to you know for some discounts or or free stuff you know people love a discount people love a deal everyone loves a deal but stereotypically at least in britain you know in terms of coupon clipping collecting all that sort of stuff some households are are much more keen to do that than some other households and i think that it is those former households that maybe this is the kind of thing that could absolutely make a difference and i think it's a i think it's great idea in a sense you know everyone loves free stuff and bing is good it's not like you're trying to get someone to use a terrible service it's a lot better than it was in the same way as internet explorer these days is better than it than it used to be but it's a bit of a sad state of affairs for Microsoft that it's now having to basically pay people to use to use Bing rather than Google. What else do you do with those huge sacks of cash? Plus, it doesn't cost them that much money to give away free stuff that they make themselves. Well, no, I, I guess not. But on the other hand, I, I just I have to wonder whether this is enough because people like Google is such a household name. People don't say, "Oh, let me Bing that." Even though Microsoft oh, did. It, oh, it try, has been bung. Yeah, people who tried Microsoft tried to get that off the ground as a thing wasn't happening. Google, you Google it. People know that as a thing. People know the Google name. It's in the dictionary. They, yeah, and, and, and Google's tied in with Android as well. So it's not just about desktop browsing. Desktop browsing is going downhill anyway in terms Windows of... Windows Phone, come on. Oh, yeah, all like people on Windows people, Phone. Like all nine of those people in Britain who use Windows Phone, they all use Bing, mostly, I, I, I think. I bet they all use Google. They've yeah. got the Google app on there. But I, So I think the the biggest market that, that Microsoft really are going uh, need to increase on is the people who are using it by default with with windows desktops when they buy a new pc new laptop from uh, pc world they need to do more to make people not immediately switch from bing to google um because i think by eu law they are obliged to 
ask you which your default browser you want to use when you start your computer now. The U- the, the UK, the Europe is, is, has come down a lot. I mean, Microsoft got into a lot of trouble for this, you know, back in the sort yeah. of late 2000s. Forced people to use their own service. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had all sorts. I mean, at one point they had to release a version of Windows Vista, I believe it was, that didn't have Windows Media Player sort of pre-installed. So they, they really had to unbundle a lot of stuff. But yet they still allowed them to release Vista. Exactly. This is the problem. But people learn from their mistakes. This is the thing. People learn. You have to learn people. Um, but you also have to let us know what you think to this story. Uh, and if this would sway you uh, to try using Bing. Um, and obviously, if you are doing this already, that would be tremendous to hear from you. Uh, and if you're using Bing over Google, again, tell us your reasons why. Anyone still using Alta Vista? No. Or Ask Jeeves? Or Dogpile? That was always my favourite mid-90s meta search engine. Dogpile. Dogpile. Good old Dogpile. Well, London's underground network may be getting a standard cellular mobile phone signal uh, package, if you like, if Mayor Sadiq Khan can attract enough interest from the apparently several companies keen to install the necessary hardware to make it happen. Uh, the mayor is going to invite bids for telecoms uh, equipment providers to uh, to install this once the general election is out of the way. Uh, this is according to the FT. Now, we've had Wi-Fi on the tube for a few years now, with some weird, notable and odd exceptions, like Bond Street Station, which is right next to Oxford Circus and still doesn't have Wi-Fi. Moorgate, which is right in the heart of the financial district near where I work, still doesn't have Wi-Fi. Um, but regardless, for the ones that do have Wi-Fi, the problem is that you can only use it on platforms, and once the train starts moving, you're cut off obviously it's also only wi-fi so unless you have wi-fi calling enabled um or you're using whatsapp which to be fair most people are then you're limited with what you can do with that uh, as well as far as i'm aware the mobile signal proposition doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be covered in tunnels so you no. can't have a phone call while you're on the tube it's still that kind of waiting on the platform or for a few seconds while you've pulled into a platform, yeah. which in my experience is only enough time to connect to the Wi-Fi in the first place. And not to send anything. And not to do anything with it. Yeah. I would question with this is why? Because people don't really need, they don't need cellular signal. As you say, most people are using, you know, it's for emails, WhatsApps, maybe, maybe Wi-Fi calling if you need it. But, well, I'll, I'll just interrupt you and tell you one reason why. Go because on. not everybody has a provider that gives them free access to Wi-Fi. If you're, don't, if you're not on, say, Virgin Media or Vodafone EE, some of these providers that well, that give you bundled access, you actually have to pay for that underground access. And so having wifi, having a cellular signal doesn't necessarily mean phone calls. It means you can use your 4G. Well, I would say adding adding more, more users to the Wi-Fi, then adding more companies to support that would be better. BT, with um, uh, their, their BT's network of wireless hotspots, if they could have their service down there as well so that people who are using um, certainly tourists who are logging on to uh, using BT service when they're visiting London rather than using roaming well t- tourists is the other one because if this is cellular then until we leave the European Union and have a deal on the roaming stuff it means that tourists will be able to use their local inclusive roaming thing on the tube and their data and not have to worry about logging mm. onto a Wi-Fi network. So I think that there, there are some good reasons to do this. Yeah, there, there are. Um, and I suppose fine on the other platforms, I just really would do not want cellular signal um, between platforms. I don't want to be... The tubes are a horrible enough place to be when you are crammed in like sardines. It's sweaty, it's hot, it's nasty, it's busy. You can't get on because it's too, because it's too many people. Um, and then to make it worse, you've got someone loudly talking away about 
what he's going to do on a night out. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm listening to the Nate Langson podcast, the te- the text message one. No one's going to say that. Nate. Yeah, yeah. You should tell your friends. <laughs> yes, he is very handsome. No, his brother isn't. Yeah. Okay. Cheers. Bye. That's yeah. what you can imagine. That's right? the sort of conversation I don't want to happen uh, on a train or or at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just I think I would hate that to happen. I like the fact that when you go, I, I always laughed when I was living in Ealing when people would. Uh, which is which goes from being overground to underground. Um, <laughs> yeah, that people would be on the phone having a conversation loudly and really obnoxiously uh, without any dis- regard for the other passengers, and then it would go underground and we keep on talking. Hear him go, "Hey, you, you still there? Uh, yeah, you, and as though they're expected to keep on going. I know, and hey. I laugh and I go, "Yeah, you deserved that." <laughs> Well, uh, not everybody is as malicious as, as Andy. Um, and I do think that, in general, the more connectivity, the better. So I'm broadly in favour of this, as long as it doesn't come with an extra charge for users uh, and all being well, uh, not a, a charge out of the public purse. I think there are just better things to spend the money on on the underground. The underground needs so much renovation, so much extra work in all other places that this is an area that really we could put that money to better use. Stair lifts for the disabled. Yeah. I cannot imagine how bad it would be to travel on the underground using a wheelchair because so few stations have wheelchairs. So few access. of them. Uh, it's very it's difficult for blind, blind, blind people. Very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, there are so many things that they can send that money on. Well, let us know your thoughts and whether you think this should be spent, have money spent on it. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, a little quick one, just to round out the uh, the main stories for the show today. According to The Telegraph, Barclaycard is developing technology that would let shoppers charge in-store purchases to their mobile phones directly. Essentially, uh, there'd be a Barclaycard smartphone app. It would charge the items to a credit card when shoppers scan said items uh, using the phone's camera uh, with them, without them having to go to a checkout. Uh, Barclays staff are apparently trialling the service at the company's Canary Wharf headquarters, uh, but it says that a high street retailer is set to pilot the system next year or in the next year. Now, it's probably inevitable, this, uh, but I also can't see retailers liking it unless it allows them to, you know, to still get really, really good data and the option to still tie in with loyalty systems. I think many retailers actually could probably do this sort of system themselves if they want to. You know, Tesco has its own payment service. I think they call it, is it Quick or Quick Pay? Something like that. Something along those lines. Uh, and, it's, and I also think it's not a million miles away from what Amazon's been doing with its physical stores in the US. You pick up stuff you want and then you just leave the store. You don't, the purchase gets logged to your account and, and the payment method there. So there's no cashiers, there's no queuing. No unexpected items in any bagging areas at all. So it makes me wonder whether the next step for self-service checkouts is to get rid of to get rid of the checkout entirely. And maybe this is a step in that direction. Personally, I still think that stores would probably want to try doing this themselves rather than Barclay Card. Yeah, and I don't think it would take much doing because in certainly the bigger supermarkets, um, like Waitrose, um, you go in and, and on one side of the entrance, whereas a whole bank of those uh, of the barcode scanners that you can, the idea is that you take them round now simply so you can see how much you're spending and you can scan items and you can read it all on there. That's not a big step removed from then allowing you to pay through that without having to go through um, having to go through the till. Yeah. Um, I think uh, stores will like it because they can have uh, fewer tills. Um, it does mean fewer staff. Um, they can, they can without having so many tills there, they can have more 
items uh, for sale. Um, and I wonder if, I think you're right that they won't like Barclays cards having all the information, but I, I do wonder if um, there'd be a, a situation where Barclays card would be able to develop a technology and license it as a, basically as a back-end platform for other um, shops to use. So Waitrose could use um, its own, uh, use Barclays card's technology in its own Waitrose app, and as you're going around, you then still pay through Waitrose, which means it can still log all of the, the deals uh, that you may be getting if you're buying two-for-ones, anything like that, and still have the customer data because you would buy through the My Waitrose app. Mm. And I think that would work very well and would and everyone would be happy with that solution. We'll keep our eye on it, um, and we'll, it'll be very interesting to see which retailer they try this with uh, in the next year according to this uh, this piece in the telegraph but if you have any thoughts on this or if you're aware of any similar systems that already work like this in in your area or country uh, podcast at natelangson.com well rummaging in uh, the natelangson.com uh, email mailbag uh, we had a, a few things a few short emails and one very long one that we're going to get to uh, next week when we've got a bit more time uh, one really lovely one came in from al this uh, really warmed my my aortic pump uh, it did indeed uh, he, al says gents finally got a chance to sit down and watch the stream of episode 100 thoroughly enjoyed it and was great to actually see so many of the entities from whom the voices that are so familiar in my car are emanating from now that's where it includes you because you were on the I show i was on the show so yeah it does include me uh, well done on getting to 100 can't wait to hear the next 100 uh thank you for all the entertainment and insight that you've provided so it's really lovely al thank you very much for that um we've had a few messages lots of tweets and things from from people as i said at the top of the show that uh that said they really liked episode 100 um we've got one from nick who says uh, i've switched pr- uh, phone this was in response i should say to our conversation around switching mobile phone providers and the ease of which it currently is and may become in the future when ofcom suggests people should just be able to text in order to get their um their contract or network changed Uh, nick says i've switched phone provider three times all three times all i had to do was go onto my account page on their website and click a button to generate the code Uh, there was no phone call or anything when i sign up to a new provider i just give them my phone number and call uh, sorry and code and they handle the rest super painless experience andy what do you uh what do you think to that is that a good is that a good system yeah yeah do you wish to embellish at all on that system? No, not really. No, I think he's made a good, he's made he's made his point. Hmm. And I, I yeah, I agree. Yeah, okay. Well, I think Nick is in uh, in possibly in a di- different country. I believe he's in New Zealand. So, we've got a lot to learn from our overseas uh, our overseas friends, but thanks Nick. And then from a completely different Nick, uh, we had this email. Uh, I recall 50 years ago driving, uh being driven, he says, through a center through the center of a Swiss city. Uh, And Nick's writing this because we talked about traffic lights on a very recent show. Uh, Nick continues, I don't recall which one, as in which Swiss city, uh, but on each traffic light was a speed sign. It wasn't the speed limit, but it was the speed that when you drove that fast, you'd hit all the lights on green. Wow. It worked, he says. Uh, I recall a year or so ago, it was the official London policy in London to desynchronize the lights to slow down the traffic. Yes. I didn't know that at all. Yes. Uh, the Milton Keynes idea. This is the one. I'm not where sure they... that was ever official. Actually, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think that was strongly suspected. It's a flipping but... good idea. Yeah. Um, 
the Milton Keynes idea, this is the one we talked about the other week with uh, AI controlled traffic lights. Uh, Nick says, may well bring more advanced algorithms and tech to the party, but the policy and public communication needs to lead. Really interesting comment that, Nick, and a fascinating observation on the, the Swiss example. I had no idea that existed ever. That's actually one of the um, the, the things that uh, autonomous um, vehicles will hopefully uh, be able to solve in that they will be able to communicate with the traffic lights knowing exactly sort of how, what speeds they get to, uh, where there's traffic behind them. Same with car-to-car stuff, in that cars can drive basically nose-to-nose um, because there'll be no difference in braking times. They will all basically brake at once, so cars can travel closer together at higher speeds safely. Yeah, uh, you sound exactly like Ian did on, uh, I think, episode 99, uh, or possibly 98, uh, when we talked about this on the show. It's it's a it's a very good shared opinion. Yeah, I definitely listened, and that's why I thought I'd echo those uh, those sentiments. Excellent. Okay, well, thanks to everybody who's been writing in podcast at natelangson.com and tweeting us with your kind words and support at, at textmessagepod on Twitter. Uh, we're almost up to 500 followers on Twitter, which is woefully less the number of people we know actually listen to the show, so some of you aren't <laughs> following us, uh, and you really should. Uh, but if not, nothing else... Uh, just keep us posted on your great observations and insights uh, on our email. Uh, now, before we end the show, let's just check in with uh, Tom Merritt of Daily Tech News Show and just find out what's been going on in the wider world of tech this week. Tom. This week, we had nothing as innovative as the drone umbrella, but we did have these topics. How Andy Rubin plans to become the next Apple with his essential company. Why people don't use secure internet tools. Mostly it's because their friends and family aren't using them. Why the Plex TV software may be the best choice for you even with a cable subscription. And venture partner Rob DeMillo's opinion on how net neutrality regulations affect investment. All that and even more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Congrats on 101 episodes. Thank you, Tom. Another fantastic week there. I'm slightly behind on all my tech podcasts, thanks to, thanks to all the prep I've been doing for uh, the episode 100 and then had a bit of downtime. So I've got some catching up to do. Like on mine, the Scenic UK podcast. I also haven't listened to yours this week, I'm afraid. But wow. that's my plan for the next week is to catch up on DTNS, catch up on CNET, and also catch up on Astronomy Cast, which is one of my other favorite podcasts uh, that I'm sadly uh, a couple of weeks behind on, uh, thanks to all the stuff that's been going on in the world of our podcast. Uh, that's going to do it, though, for this week, everybody. Um, Thanks again to all our patrons supporting us. Patreon.com forward slash UK Tech. Uh, this week, we've got some great extra stories. Uh, we talked about uh, the Nokia 3310. We talked about the new Essential phone from Andy Rubin. Uh, some great insights there. Uh, you can get those um, if you become a backer to us on, on Patreon. And of course, thanks to everyone who isn't able to support us financially just from leaving us great reviews on iTunes, telling your friends, and just keeping the, the, the mainstream interest going in the show. We're super, super grateful, and we're glad to be in our second centenary of episodes uh, that will continue uh, hopefully for as long as possible so thanks to everybody I'll be back in the studio next week hopefully with Ian on the end of his studio and uh, Andy from CNET thank you very much mate thank you and we'll see you guys in a week planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quinn's Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.